in every country. Trees, you know we can work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA. Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up-to-date with developments in the arboriculture industry. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with this month's podcast series by Joris Voten. Mr. Voten is a European tree technician and product manager in the Netherlands. This podcast features his talk on developing a structural soil made from recycled materials. It was originally presented at the 2012 ISA International Conference in Portland, Oregon. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for that kind introduction. Um, indeed, uh, my name is uh, Joris Voeten, and I um, came here from the Netherlands. This is a map of the Netherlands as it, uh, as it looks nowadays. This morning I learned that about one-third of this country will be gone 50 years from now. But the good news for me is that I live in the Dutch mountains, and at a maximum elevation of six feet, I'll be in the clear, and I'll have a beachfront property. Um, it's a small country, though, a very small country. In fact, it, Oregon would be the same size as 10 Netherlands, if that's the correct plural for Netherlands. Um, but it's good. Being a small country is very, very good. When it rains, we just put it inside. It's easy like that. Um, be careful, though, when you're navigating our highway system. And then highway system is a strange word for highways that are about 20 meters below sea level. Because if you take one wrong turn, passport, you're out of the country. But don't underestimate us. We might be small, but we managed to cram four times more people in this small country than you will find all over the state of Oregon. And this is what it looks like in summer on a hot day if you have 500 people per square kilometer, and that's on average. So we have to deal with urban areas, dense urban areas, and that of course creates a challenge for urban green space, because what developers like to do most is remove the green and put a building there, but more and more we learn, and we learned that today even more than at any other ISA conference, Green urban infrastructure and green space in the urban area is necessary to keep everybody healthy and happy. And that's what we at SHIFT work on. We want to create happy cities with happy people. And in order to have happy cities with happy people, you need healthy trees, like the one you see on the image behind me. Um, growing healthy trees is not too problematic if you grow them in a forest, um, in the urban environment where you have lots of, 
um, cables, lines, water mains in the soil, you have a lot of, um, um, sorry for that. There's a lot of lack, of, there's a lack of space for roots to grow. So we want to create space for roots to grow. Um, and just sand underneath pavers or underneath tarmac doesn't do the trick for us in the Netherlands because the demands of the, the, the load-bearing capacity of soils are so high that the soils will get so compacted, as many of you will know, that the roots won't, no longer will grow there. Another thing that's important is to prevent damage. We all like the trees, but we don't like the tree roots destroying our pavements or our tarmac. Um, so in the Netherlands, we have been using structural soils or engineered soils for many years now. And the, the most important component, judging from an engineering point of view, not from a tree point of view, is the fact that these soils have to be capable of bearing a load the traffic, the pavers, the sand, and they have to be able to transform this load from the top to the subsoil underneath the rooting zone. So these aggregates, these, this could be uh, ground rocks or they could be grains of sand in this schematic overview, they will transfer the, the load uh, to the subsoil. Um, what's important is that the spaces in between these soil particles stay open because that's the only place where we can store uh, or transport oxygen, water, and nutrients. So this, these stable elements or the, the, the sand or the, the rock elements in the structural soil have to be almost all about the same size, which is a very important element in the structural soil. If you have big particles and small particles and even smaller particles and then yet more small particles, the small particles will get in the gaps in between the bigger particles and compact so much that there's no more room for roots to grow or water to move up or down. Um, these structural soils in the Netherlands uh, are made with uh, sand that we mine from our rivers because our country is basically an alluvial plain, so it's sand everywhere. We don't have any overhead wires because it's just easy to dig a trench and put them in the soil, which is a nice thing, I think. Um, but we also use rocks, but we have no rocks, we have no mountains. Um, so we import and transport those rocks from all over Europe to the Netherlands. Um, and then we have to add some organic compounds to this soil because sand alone is, is not enough for trees to grow in. So what we do to create a structural soil is we would add peat, which is a very stable, natural compound, very good growing substrate for trees and plants. But in order to get peat, we are basically destroying the natural bogs in Sweden, the Baltic states, and in Russia, and we're transporting all that peat to the Netherlands and Western Europe to create these substrates. And that's something that has been illuminated negatively in the, in the media recently, uh, and correctly so. In the Netherlands, we've managed to uh, deplete all our natural bogs. They are gone. We have no more peat, so we get it somewhere else. But when we started working on resoil, and we didn't know we would manage to actually create resoil at that point in time. We wanted to know if we could recreate soil from used materials. Um, the whole idea is based on the cradle-to-cradle -cradle philosophy, and I'm really, really curious. Whom of you here is aware of this philosophy and knows approximately what it means? Can I see some hands? Oh, that's good. 
So the other 50%, I'll give you a very short summary. Um, in this day and age, still we live in a linear society, meaning that we are used to mining something, then we make something out of it, and then we throw it away. That's the so-called cradle-to-grave uh, philosophy. It's not a real philosophy, it's just a way of the way we've been doing things uh, so far. But as we've learned this morning, we are running out of planet, and if we keep doing it this way, mine something, make something, throw it away, then we're going to run out of planet sooner or later. Um, the first raw materials are already getting depleted. Uh, phosphate, for example, lithium, and all those rare minerals there. We're losing our supplies rapidly. And if you look at nature closely, you will never find a linear process anywhere because something's waste is always a source for something else. That's what they call a circular process. If we would not meddle with nature, these circular processes would go on without us. So we need to transform our society, the way we deal with, with products and with raw materials, in this circular fashion. That's the only way to keep this planet uh, happily fed and happily entertained with iPhones and other very important things. Um, so we have started resoil uh, re uh, based on the cradle-to-cradle -cradle approach. We wanted to create a new structural soil for trees to grow in, in the urban environment without newly mined materials. And that's when you automatically end up in the world of waste. What are we throwing away that we could possibly still make use of? Well, waste has a negative connotation to it, but whatever we would use coming from waste streams, and in the Netherlands we are very far ahead, I might say, with some pride in you know, separating all our different waste streams in order to be able to reuse all the materials. Um, but whatever we would use needed to be constantly available because, you know, a structural soil you use in large quantities. It had to be consistent in quality because you, stuff that you put in the soil in the Netherlands or in Europe has to be, you know, legal, it has to be clean, um, had to be sufficiently available, affordable, and allowed, because I cannot, I will not get a permit to use a soil that has been polluted. Um, we tried many materials. We tried uh, broken concrete, but it's way too alkaline for trees to grow in. Uh, we tried uh, broken uh, bricks, uh, which are readily available, you know, clay bricks that are baked in the oven. Um, but if you take the broken bricks that came from a demolition site, they would be polluted with cement, also very alkaline. If you take new bricks, then you're paying too much and you're destroying something good. So we tried several things, and we ended up with a, a source of material called CSP glass. In the Netherlands, uh, about 99% of all glass is recycled. But out of that 99%, 1 or 2% cannot be used in the glass industry. Because this glass is uh, polluted, as you might say, with ceramics, stone, and porcelain. They get mixed in the return flow of the glass. And you cannot put ceramic, stone, or porcelain in a glass furnace because that will destroy your production. The glass furnace does not accept those materials. So up until resoil, this 1 or 2% was basically dumped. And this presented us with a great opportunity to convert waste to a usable raw material. Um, 
we created glass sand, and we created glass sand by simply uh, drying the CSP glass. We, we will break it, not with a hammer on our table, but with, with big machinery, and then we sieve it to get the fraction of, of grains that we wanted, which are about one to two millimeter in size. They are angular, so they cling together very well once compacted. They are stable. Glass breaks, but only on impact, never under pressure. So that makes it a very stable substrate underneath roadways. It's clean and it's legally usable as substrate in the Netherlands because, well, what once was sand became glass and is now returned to being sand again. I have a, I have a sample here in a jar. I had great fun getting this through customs at the airport. It's almost like they were disappointed that this magic jar from Amsterdam could not either be smoked or injected. But that was their loss, not mine. Um, it's no longer sharp. That's what people, uh, when I tell people I'm putting glass back into the soil, people say, it might be sharp. And I'm inviting all of you to have a feel because due to the process, this whole material now just feels like regular coarse sand, which is a good thing. Um, let me see the clicker. Of course, the glass sand alone would not be enough for trees to grow in, so we had to find nutritional compounds for growth. The easy way would be to use peat again. Uh, it's very stable, very well suited for this purpose, because once you put a soil underneath a layer of pavement, pavers or concrete or tarmac, you want uh, an organic compound that stays there for a long time. You don't want something that rots or decomposes in 10 years, then it's gone, and then the nutritional value for the tree is gone. Well, we use two biological components in the resoil. One is a biologically mature compost, and what might that be, um, you might ask. Most of us know that we can make our own compost in about six weeks. That means that you transform green waste or green household waste into a compost, but it's so young, basically, that it's still bacteria-dominated. And to be honest, trees are not that fond of bacteria-dominated compost. They prefer a fungal-dominated compost. And that simply takes a longer time to, to build, to get together. And we don't actually have to do a lot to make it this way, but we just have to leave it alone for a longer time. So the compost we use is about 18 months old and very stable in that sense, and fungal uh, is dominated by fungi. The second component we, we use is uh, cocoa peat. Um, cocoa peat is made from uh, ground coconut shells, which is a waste product in the coconut industry. Um, but in the Dutch greenhouses, um, cocoa peat is used as a substrate to uh, grow, for example, strawberries in. You can see a strawberry plant from a greenhouse right there. It's not a system where they are growing the strawberries upside down, but this guy is holding the plant upside down. Um, and we found a, a way to separate the used cocoa peat and the strawberry plant because, as you can see, this thing is very well rooted and we want the cocoa peat back and we do not want the strawberry plant. Strawberries, yes, plant, no. Um, we managed to do so with, a, with another technical uh, innovation and so now the strawberry plants, they can go into the composting uh, process and we have regained cocoa peat, which previously was just discarded as agricultural waste and, and, and 
well, done away with in agricultural fields by plowing it in, which is not bad to increase organic contact in an agricultural field, but I think this is a neater solution. Um, sometimes we have to, uh, to balance the nutrients in these uh, uh, organic compounds, uh, and we do so with organic fertilizers, but mostly it's okay. Um, so once we have the, the glass sand and the organic compounds together, we will mix them in a, a volume uh, set of uh, two glass sand and one uh, organic compounds, and we use a drum sieve to get a nice uh, uniform product. And this product has to be lab checked for nutrients, once again, to be sure, to be checked for pollution and organic matter content. So if everything's okay, then we can use it in the soil. The physical properties of the end product um, are as follows to be short. Organic matter is 3.5%, and that might seem low um, in comparison to other structural soils, where it's usually 4 to 4 to 5%. Um, but this is a, a mass percentage, and since the glass sand is heavier than the, the than normal sand in density, it, the, the figure looks lower, but in fact it's the same volume of organic matter. The pore volume under um, maximum uh, compaction, which is called the maximum proctor density in the Netherlands, um, is 33%. So even when you find the maximum compaction of this soil, you still have 33% of pore volume left. And that's exactly what we were going for. And specific density of the finished product under maximum compaction is uh, 1,650 kilograms per cubic meter. Um, this is what it looks like, the finished product. I could not bring the finished product. The glass sand was okay, but don't bring soil in your suitcase to the United States. I know that from experience. Um, when you're dealing with a, um, a constructed soil uh, like this is, or an engineered soil, you're not only dealing with tree people who want a tree to grow, but you're also dealing with uh, paver people and roadway people, and they don't care about the tree, they just care about stability because they want their road to stay in place for a long, long time. So for the, the final uh, product, we did uh, the so-called uh, California bearing ratio test to, to determine the CBR value, which is an American way of testing stability. You basically compare it to a standard crushed limestone from California with, with penetration. And you see that um, where the, the limestone from uh, uh, from California would get you a 100% value. Uh, you see that the volcanic sand or, or steel sand or regular river sand would be somewhere between the, the 10 and 20% range, and the resoil is up to almost 35%. So it's a really stable aggregate, almost as stable as a volcanic compacted gravel. So we were happy with that result. Um, we also determined the, the, the PF curve or the moisture characteristic of the soil. You can understand that this is a really coarse sand between one and two millimeters. So it's really the, the, the biological or the organic compounds that we've added that keep the water, that retain the water in this place. And without going into too much detail, the, this is the, the line of uh, coarse sand and also the line for uh, resoil um, showing that uh, the resoil has the same water retaining uh, capacity as a, as a coarse uh, sand, which is good in places where you have a lot of water 
for example, the Netherlands, because their drainage is always an issue. Uh, it might be a challenge for areas where water is a, a restricting or a limiting factor. In that case, you might want to add a little bit more organic matter to keep some water in your soil profile. Um, this is one uh, profile that we uh, could use uh, in the Netherlands. It consists of uh, pavers, um, and you should think about uh, biking lanes. Biking lanes are widely spread in, in the Netherlands, and um, they are very often used as a place for trees to root underneath. Um, and this would be the construction that you would use, um, the pavers, the, the paving sand underneath the pavers and the resoil underneath that. In the Netherlands, we never apply structural soils or soils with organic material deeper than one meter below ground level, almost three feet down, um, because of oxygen. And in the Netherlands, we found that using aeration in these urban areas is extremely important because... I have no science to prove this, but the feeling is that with more oxygen, lower in the profile, you basically entice or lure the roots to go down because there's oxygen there. So you keep them away from the, from the paving sand and the pavers because there's oxygen low in the profile. Um, this would be uh, another profile here. You see that we lose some volume of, of resoil, but uh, there's a a mixed concrete gravel bed underneath, and this is where you could also uh, park cars and so on for maximum stability. The red line you see in there is, is, is an anti-rooting cloth or uh, some sort of a, a plastic sheet because it's very important to keep those roots out of the mixed concrete and out of the sand underneath the pavers. Um, application has to be done by professionals. Um, this is also my personal experience. The first time we wanted to apply a resoil in a, in a testing setting, the moisture content was too low. It was only 8%, whereas maximum compaction is attained at 14% moisture. So we were basically trying to compact well, dry sand, and you won't be able to compact. It just goes everywhere. Um, but uh, we found that out in time before we closed the hole and paved all over it again. And you have to be careful where to apply something as coarse as resoil. If you have a very dense clay soil surrounding your resoil plot, it will act as a sponge. All water will run off into your resoil uh, construction, and you've basically created a bathtub for your trees to grow in. And some trees do well with that, most don't. Um, so you have to be careful and check what's there in the area around it. We did a, a, root, uh, a root growth experiment, fairly easy. We dug a, a trench 1.2 meters wide and 6 meters long, 80 centimeters deep. We filled it with resoil. We compacted it to standard specifications, and we didn't cover it with pavement, and we have grown six different tree species in this trench for about, uh, about one growing season. And this is the results. In red, you can see the lines of the, of the container because this was a container-grown uh, stock. And you see the, the roots, um, the root growth from one growing season only. They were planted in May and harvested in October. Um, I was amazed by the amount of root growth um, and um, happy to see uh, this result. I had troubles getting the alder out at all, you know. Just. Um, this is the first project we made in Heiningen in the Netherlands. Here you can see there's a, about 10 centimeters 
or four inches of resoil on the bottom of the of the site. On top of that grows the the aeration uh, tubing, and then we would fill it up with resoil, compact it, put the trees in, and uh, re- and pave over it again. This site is uh, for two elm trees, two small elm trees, and uh, is about the size of uh, four parking spaces in the Netherlands, and. They are smaller than in the United States. Um, this is another site. This is a corporate uh, uh, parking space at the headquarters of the company where they make the, the glass sand. Uh, it used to be uh, cars only, and uh, we've created a, a, a ditch uh, about 20 meters long and 2 meters wide and a meter deep in which these uh, three plane trees are now growing happily. And what struck me was that we were allowed to put trees there as a test um, as long as as they did not have to surrender any parking space. So we managed to put the the, the trees right on the corner of four parking spaces so they could still park there. the last use of this this resoil is um, we've put it in a planter. as you can see here, one by one by one meter. It's, uh, it, it makes it visible for the company that manufactures this, this product for us. And we have found that it drains very well, meaning that you have to carefully check the water situation of the stream to prevent it to dry out. And it has an extremely high oxygen content of 20% all the way down to the bottom. You might suggest adding a little bit more organic material to this mix for a planter in order to have some more water retention capacity because compaction is not an issue. And that's it. I want to thank you for your attention. And with questions, don't hesitate. I'll be here. This concludes Joris Voten's talk on the development of a structural soil from recycled materials. If you would like to learn more about soils, you can find additional materials at the ISA web store, including the Introduction to Arboriculture Soils and Water CD. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this lecture, visit the ISA online store and select Online CEU Quizzes. If you have recommendations for future podcasts, please contact the ISA at elearning at isa-arbor.com. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.